Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Each week, we explore questions of faith, community, and identity. This is Melba Matthew and Dur Lore, your hosts for this season. In this season, we are going to dive into the difficult and complex task of being a part of a community or multiple communities. Welcome to today's episode of Centering. We're your hosts, Melba and Dur, and today we're holding a conversation on the topic of Asian American women as part of community. Today, we're excited to have with us Kathy Moi as our guest. Kathy is a Hmong American woman, daughter of refugees, sister and auntie, minister and teacher during the day, truth seeker at night, coffee drinker on the beach during off days. Kathy, welcome to Center. Thank you. Well, Kathy, I know that was a very humble bio that you shared with us, but I know you've been with InterVarsity for a number of years. And just to kind of help our listeners get to know you a little bit more, um, would you would you be able to share just uh, what you do with Ivy, how long, in what capacity, things like that? Yeah, so I've worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for about 10 years or so total. I'm actually currently on sabbatical until August. And I've done a lot of various things within a varsity, um, have held a lot of different positions, but um, my current role is a regional coordinator um, in the upper Midwest uh, for multi-ethnic ministries. And so just serving students and staff of color and um, helping them grow spiritually and then also helping them um, just creating spaces for them um, because there's just very few, especially in the upper Midwest. Yeah, I remember, uh, Kathy, just to kind of share a little bit more about what you do, if you don't mind. I uh, have been grateful to be a part of the conferences that Kathy and her team have put on called HC3, Hmong Collegiate Conference. Is that right? Hmong Christian Collegiate Conference. (laughs) There you go. Hmong Christian Collegiate Conference. And I think I attended the first one, which was like 14 years ago. Yeah, it was I think 15. 15 yeah. years ago. So it's just amazing to see the, the Hmong American uh, college campus ministry community that you have built with your vision and your persistence. So that's been really cool to, to, to watch. Thanks. Yeah, I think I don't, it's not to be like the humble brag or like the, the trying to be modest. I think part of it is just like, I'm in a season of life where I'm trying to understand my identity beyond just like ministry, (laughs) because that has been a part of my story, which is important and good. But I think that I've lost myself in all that. So I think that's one of the reasons why I don't like expand more on it. (laughs) Yeah, we see the variety of the Asian American experiences and stories as mutually illuminating for one another. Um, and so we value uh, the diverse experiences and th- that come together to comprise the, the entire Asian American narrative. And so with that said, we wanted to hear from you, Kathy. What do you think are the ways in which there are unique challenges or experiences that are uh, particular to Hmong American women? When I was thinking about this question, it's not necessarily um, things that other Asian American women don't face. I think we just experience it differently and it impacts us differently. And so I, for example, like I think white supremacy and patriarchy, we are oppressed by that, but this impacts us differently depending on our socioeconomic status, depending on when our families came to the U S 
depending on how we've been racialized, depending on our role in our families, uh, depending on what our family has gone through, um, our values, like the list goes on and on. And so I think that there's that. But then as I think about like, even just within the Hmong American community, even that's not a monolith, right? Like coming to the U.S. as refugees, it ranges from 1965 to the early 2000s. And so like, depending on when our families came as Hmong Americans, it varies. And so I think when I think about that question, it's hard for me to answer, but I think the only way to answer it is, is to share my story, is to share like my place. And so it's like my parents are refugees. My mom lost her husband in the secret war. My dad was a child soldier. My mom remarried when she came to the U.S. and I was their first child. Um, I have three older brothers who crossed the Mekong River fleeing the war as, as children. I'm one out of 12 children in my family. I'm the fourth oldest. <laughs> I'm the oldest daughter. I'm the firstborn in the U.S. I was the first girl in my family to attend college and graduate. I'm single. I'm a cisgender, hetero, Southeast Asian woman. I have 17 nieces and nephews. I'm an administrator in a patriarchal culture from, you know, the white culture and the Hmong culture that don't believe that women can or should be a preacher or can teach, right? And then I also like fundraise in that context. I was born and raised in the Midwest. Um, and I spent the last eight years living in Milwaukee. And so it's like, I feel like when I list all those things, I hope that it highlights like, wow, all these things are not just part of my experience and my identity, but these things impact and shape my experience and who I am and what I bring forth. And I hope that when I say that, like people reflect on that, not only my story, but like their own stories and see, okay, how does this intersect or how, how then do I build a relationship with Kathy because of all these things? How does this shape and form my partnership with her? So I don't know if that answers the question, but I think that's how I can answer that question. Yeah, I, I think it totally does. I think uh, naming the refugee narrative and how, you know, you're a daughter, you're a sister, I think all of that is definitely what makes the Hmong American women experience unique. I think you answered it. Yeah. And you have 12 siblings. Now you asked me how many siblings <laughs> I have. Now I understand. Yeah, that that's a unique experience, right? Um, yeah. Is that common in a lot of Hmong families? I would say like the first generation, the first generation, yes. Just because mm. again, that's part of our narrative. We were people that were in the mountains of Laos. We did agriculture. That's how you pass down the family. That's how you had workers in your family. So I think yes, but I think in this next generation, it's less of that because we live in America and it's an obviously different culture and context. And so- Yeah, and the economy. Yeah, yeah. And so actually like my 17 nieces and nephews, like only six of my siblings are married. Uh, the most kids that one of them has is four. Everyone else is like two to three and they're like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so in that sense, it's like that you're seeing, I guess, the assimilation to how family structure is in America. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that feel like a, a loss in a way? Um, yes and no. I think just because you have to adapt and you have to survive. And I think that's also part of the Hmong narrative, knowing that like we don't have a country of origin, knowing that we don't have a country that we can go back to, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, as a people with no country, like I think in every country that we've been in as refugees, we've had to adapt, we have to assimilate, we have to survive in some way, shape or form. So right. yes and no, I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. That survival instinct. Mm-hmm. Right. That like, what choice do you have right? when that's yeah. your primary concern? Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if you can maybe say then what community has been like for you as a woman and as a, a you know, 1.5 second gener. Well, I guess technically your second generation. Is that how you identify? Yeah, I, I'm technically second gen, but I function okay. as a 1.5. <laughs> okay. Can you say a little bit about that? What What's functioning as a 1.5 gen mean? I think part of it is that even though I was born here and I am second gen, I think because I was the first, like my order in my family and how I was raised, um, the mentality of the first gen and the experiences of the first gen influence my upbringing and those values and just like the things that really shaped the Hmong culture has been embedded in me. And so mm-hmm. I think I wrestle with that a lot. And I, I see that as I minister to college students and realize, whoa, like I'm like, I definitely am a 1.5 gen because when I'm around college students, I don't feel as quote unquote American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And you've had to be kind of a bridge, um, be in the middle in all sense. So how do you build community or how have you formed community as an Asian American woman um, and for Hmong Americans? (laughs) That is a great question. I think I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) Um, I think that the way that I've done ministry, I've just been done intuitively and it's been done organically and even till this day I feel like when people ask me because I've been doing this for 10 plus years they would ask me as if like there's a systematic way of doing things and I still don't know how to answer it I think a lot of it has to do with building trust yeah building trust building relationships um A lot of the, I feel like things that are foundational in the Christian faith and like just relationships in general. And so I think that's why it's hard for me to answer that question too, because a part of me is like, all I've been doing is building trust and building relationships (laughs) with people and creating a safe space and creating Mm -hmm. space for people to tell their stories. And for me, it, it just seems intuitive. Like, isn't that what we all do to build relationships? Isn't that all what we do to to help people grow and to create safe space? So, Kathy, as you're sharing about your experience building community on college campuses, I'm wondering, as a Hmong American woman, building trust, building relationships as kind of your intuitive way of building community, Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and I realize as a Hmong male, I'm going to have blind spots in my questions. I'm going to have presumptions, but I presume that there are, you know, some unique challenges to building that trust, whereas someone with like male privilege might be able to just kind of enter a setting and be able to kind of maybe build that credibility with like less, less effort, you know, like the playing field is not level, mm -hmm. but like as a Hmong American woman, have you run into that? And what's that look like? Or, or, or like with your students, like, how do they feel being led by among American women where, where that may or may not be modeled in their home and in their home churches? So I think that being among American women minister, the funny thing about that is that if they don't believe in women preaching or teaching, they just don't even come near me. And so, um, like in, in our, in our fellowships on campus and working with students, I feel like there is very little interaction with men who don't value women in leadership. And if there are, then I think that they ask a lot of questions and they do challenge my authority. They challenge um, my theology. They challenge what I'm teaching, but yeah. Like, because that's their approach to me, they don't also stay long in the fellowship or they don't continue the conversation. They actually don't really care about like an ongoing conversation, what I have to say. I think that when I encounter those things, I listen to try to hear what the root of their question is. And if they're really trying to build a conversation and really learn and try to understand or if they're just doing that because of the patriarchy and because I'm a woman, um, I could tell right away because I think that growing up in that type of culture, you just, you just know. And I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but you can sense it. You just know. The Hmong men that have been a part of our fellowships, the students that I've been able to disciple, like, I feel like they've just been very gracious and very, not just gracious, but like, they have a sense of compassion and empathy that a part of me is like, whoa, you guys were raised in a, you know, you were raised in the same culture as like this other male that just questioned me. It, it doesn't make sense. And I've even asked my male students, like, aren't you intimidated or, you know, don't you have a problem with it? And I think they just get used to it. And I think they also see that they grow spiritually and they see a side of God that they they've not seen before. And so I think that when it comes to that, it, it's not even about me anymore because they see that like, whoa, like I'm growing and that's all that matters. Like, I don't care if Kathy's a girl or not. Yeah, what I'm hearing uh, as you were sharing is, uh, or actually what I'm realizing is that a lot of the Hmong American college students come in, if they're Christians already, they probably come from more conservative, probably complementarian cultures and churches. Mm -hmm. And that perhaps in a varsity and being under your leadership first time that they're being led by Hmong women leaders. And it, it sounds like it's a very eye-opening and transformative experience mm -hmm. for some of them. Yeah. But it's so cool because then you're, you're the one who... Um, you know, I mean, it's like you're taking the hit because you're kind of the first model of that for them, right? Mm -hmm. You're taking, you're paying, you're paying the, the, the cost, but the reward of it to see their their attitudes shift and their horizons expand on what a leader looks like, you get to kind of see the fruit of that on the other side. It sounds like, yeah, but 
I feel like this is true in ministry in general. Like you often don't really see the fruits of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it is rare that you see the fruit of things. I, I think that if you stay in ministry or whatever it is that you're doing long enough, you, you might get to see the fruit. And I, I think that I have, like me personally, I have, but um, it took a long time and it, it is very rare. Absolutely, yeah. So let, let me go on to this question here. What do you think Hmong American women look for that when they're when they're looking for communities of faith? And uh, how do you think being, you know, because because I know that in the Hmong community, being single, married, and divorced will will influence this, that decision. So how do you think kind of that marital status plays into among uh, American women looking for a community? Yeah, that's a loaded question. As a single Hmong American woman in her mid-30s, it's been really hard. Um, what I look for in a community is, um, again, I can't, I, I feel like every Hmong American woman is is different. But what I have looked for in a community is, can I trust these people? Can I uh, do I feel safe? Um, will I be heard? What, will I be valued? I think that for so long, I've fought so hard just to be heard. And sometimes not even just to be heard. Like, I think that wanting to be a minister, like, just to exist. <laughs> like, I feel like I've always had to try to prove myself that I'm able to, like, God has called me to to teach the word. God has called me to minister to college students. And I feel like I've always had to prove myself. And so when in communities, I'm, I'm always trying to, I'm observing if people are, are listening to my story and my voice and my experience, can I trust them? Are they questioning me? Do they need a theological statement or argument for my existence and my value? I think that's what I'm, I look for. And uh, because I think I'm just tired of fighting. Like, I think I'm tired of fighting to exist and I'm tired of fighting to like, just do what I'm called to. And so to be honest, it, it's, it's hard. Like I, I, I don't know. I, I want a community where I feel like I can fit in, but I, I think Asian Americans, we talk about the liminal space a lot and I, I know I live in that, especially as a Hmong American woman, like, because there's so many of those layers that I have to like untangle and live through. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think I'm just looking for a community that would, would accept me and listen. And I think that to me, that sounds like one of the best traits that a community could have is, is exactly how you just described it. I think we're, we're reaching it, uh, an age in society and in the church where we are now realizing that we need each other's stories and experiences. I mean, at least I hope many of us are that, you know, gone are the days where we can just be in our homogenous little social clubs and feel like that that's enough. And I I hope we're beyond that. I like, I think there's starting to be an awareness, but I think that it's not, we needed awareness like decades ago. Like, I, I think that it's, it's just, it's going to take so much more and I'm trying really hard to be hopeful, but I think that 
like we function, especially in the upper Midwest, like I feel like I'm, I've functioned in a culture where it's not even unwillingness. It's, it's, or it, it, it's more unwillingness, I think, because we're, we're nice over here and we do things nicely and we're well-intentioned and that just can no longer be like intentions, whether good or bad, it has to go deeper than that. And we have to be more aware of the microaggressions or the things, our actions and our words and the impact of it and not just the intentions. I'm curious, you mentioned trust a couple of times, right? And I'm kind of piecing together like what you're describing in terms of what we need to, to build a sense of safety is tying into mm-hmm. to this element of trust. Can you maybe extrapolate a little bit more on how do you demonstrate, you know, you can trust me that God has called me and then vice versa. How do you recognize when, you know, the community members are safe Um, and are accepting? I think that's a hard question because I think that we have to be aware of our own trauma and the ways that racism has impacted us because then we either project or it's all the internalized pain. And we have to be aware of like what has shaped our theological views. And so I think for me, I'm always trying to get to the root of things. Um, When people ask me questions or when people tell me stories, I'm always trying to listen well. And I think that's also why it's hard for me to share my story because I I'm not used to sharing my story. I'm used to listening to others because I want to just know more, know better. And so I think that's part of like my leadership as an Asian American woman. Like I listen a lot. I've I've been like, that's worked out well for me, but unfortunately that's also the thing that has oppressed me um, to be silenced, to stay silent. Um, My voice doesn't matter. I don't have the knowledge to lead. I don't have, I have to, achieve so many things in order to be seen as a leader. And so I think that unfortunately, the thing that has oppressed me, I've had to learn how to use it to, for it to be a gift, for it to be a benefit to my leadership. And that's just, just listening and empathizing as much as I can and asking questions so that I'd understand better. Which is work. It's active, right? It's not a passive, like I'm just staying silent. It's to listen deeply, to listen well. Yes. Yes. You're you're even listening for what they're not saying, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess it could be interpreted as, well, you're just being silent and fitting into, you know, the stereotype of women. But in fact, you're actively working by listening. Yeah. And I think it's part of my personality, but it's also part of like, I I think part of the Hmong culture, like I just absorb all the stories. And in my mind, I'm always analyzing and I'm always trying to connect the dots and I'm always trying to understand the differences and how that impacts me and everyone else and the relationships that we build. And so, yeah, that's the, those are the things that I carry with me in my leadership. And those are the things that I bring forth and it's tiring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Kathy, I want to say I have been so um, honored and just it's just been really awesome just to see the journey that God has had you on. And 
Um, I'm excited for what you model for kind of the next generation of Hmong American, Asian American leaders. And so as before we close, um, what would you offer as just kind of like a word of encouragement to a lot of our Hmong American women leader listeners uh, on the show? What, what would you say to them? I feel like what has been said to me as an encouragement to empower me and what I've learned is even though it's hard and it will continue to be hard, like keep at it. That's very cliche, but keep at it and don't function off of needing to prove yourself and have the freedom to create spaces for yourself and others. Um, You don't Mm. have to rely on the systems and structures that have silenced you. I think it took me a long time to learn that and to be brave enough to act upon that and to just to do that. But I think that it's necessary. And I think that we need to give ourselves permission and we don't need permission from other people. That makes me think of like, if I can reframe that, yeah. Instead of waiting to be invited, invite others in, yeah. right? Like into yep. a space that you can create. That's so good. Uh, I'm learning so much just just listening to the both of you share that. Well, Kathy, I, I really would love to talk to you more about this. I feel like we're we're touching on some really important things, right? Like trust, you know, the intersection of patriarchy and racism. We mentioned those things and all you know, even in how you introduced yourself, right? All the complexity of what you bring. There's so many layers. Before we wrap up, do you, actually, I have one more question. Do you have like a vision for what community can look like for uh, Asian American women in the Hmong community? I don't know if I can say it concisely, but I think that what I envision and how I say it, it's probably going to sound very cliche, Christian-y. But I think part of it is that I don't think that we know how to get there or we we say it with our mouths and we we think it in our theological understandings and beliefs, but we actually don't know how to live it yet. And so like I long for Hmong American women to be seen as equals, to be seen as just people and to be seen as we have potential and purpose just like the men in our community. And I don't know, like I I long for us to not have to fight if that is indeed our calling. Like, I don't want to have to fight you. (laughs) Why can't, like, if we live in this kingdom world that we keep preaching about, like, why are we fighting each other? Why don't you see me as a person created in God's image? to partner with you? Why is it hard to accept? So I, I don't know. I don't know if I have visions, but I have more questions. <laughs> more questions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let me just say real quick as we're closing that um, even though this episode is, you know, we're calling it Asian American women. Let me be really clear. This episode was so much for the men to hear. Guys, if you're listening, you and I need this probably more uh, to, to hear this more than our women audience. And um, it, I hope you'll receive what uh, Kathy has shared with us and what Melba has brought to the table. Because just listening to, to these two, I am constantly learning more about my own blind spots. And so, um, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing a little bit 
about your story today. And we've been really grateful to have you as a guest. Thanks for having me. And I just want to say, you know, we hear you, your longing and we share that longing with you as well for that sense of, you know, let's accept one another in the ways God calls, calls each one of us. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. This is Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in each week as we discuss community and identity. And remember, God loves and embraces all of who you are.